Welcome to the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rita Jablonski. I'm a nurse practitioner and researcher with almost 35 years of experience working with people who have dementia and their family and formal caregivers. I explain why behaviors happen, what the behaviors mean, and how to best handle them. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes and is no substitute for medical advice or care. Welcome to episode 20. I cannot believe we're up to episode 20. This is so awesome. Today, I'm going to talk about something called decisional capacity. And this is why I've chosen to bring up that topic now. In the U.S., Thanksgiving is this Thursday. And Thanksgiving usually marks the time of the winter holiday season, where there are plenty of family gatherings. And unfortunately, the holidays are also a time when families may start to notice that grandmother is having memory problems and they feel a sense of urgency to do something now that the whole family is in one place. Or, yes, dad has been diagnosed with dementia. And since the siblings are all here for the holidays, let's come up with a plan. One of the first issues that families grapple with is how much can we involve our family member living with dementia in the decision-making process? That is my rationale for bringing up this topic at this time, because as we move into the holidays and families are together, I think there's going to be many conversations about next steps and what happens. So in today's podcast, I answer the question, how do I know if my family member living with dementia can safely make decisions? This concern usually comes up around financial issues and living arrangements. The short answer is it depends on a couple of things. It depends on the type of dementia and how bad the dementia is. People living with frontotemporal dementia show bad and unusual decision-making earlier in the disease than folks having another type of dementia. It is very important to remove their access to financial resources early in the disease. And I have seen this happen time and time again when someone who was always very fiscally responsible suddenly starts spending all the retirement funds, giving it away, investing money erratically, or getting caught up in a financial scam. On the other hand, someone with vascular dementia may show good judgment and understanding of financial matters until later in their disease journey. And I will come back to this a little more later in the podcast. What's really important for caregivers to understand is that the ability to make a decision is not an on-off light switch. It is more like a gradual dimmer and it must be evaluated for each individual and for each decisional circumstance, 
not all decisions are created equal. The ability to make a decision is called decisional capacity. How do you know if someone living with dementia has the decisional capacity for a specific problem or situation? I'm going to share five questions that can help start the conversation moving. Caregivers will probably have other related questions for each of these five major ones. So the first question to ask your loved one is, tell me about the decision. In other words, what is the decision that needs to be made and what does it mean to you? The next question is, if you go through with your decision, how you want to handle this concern, what may happen? The third question is, tell me who your decision may help. The fourth question is, tell me who your decision may hurt. The final question and this is really important as well, is to ask if, if someone or something is pushing the person living with dementia to make a particular decision. One must evaluate the responses based on the severity of the dementia. I probably, probably would not ask these questions of someone with moderate to severe dementia. And as a review, I talk about and describe these stages in length, I want to say in episode two. The asking of the questions is really a process. We are providing an opportunity to find out what the other person is thinking. On one hand, we want to protect our loved one from financial abuse or unsafe conditions. On the other hand, we want to respect their autonomy, their ability to make their own decisions for as long as safely possible. I see this conflict a lot in my clinical practice when a person living with dementia is in the mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia stage. In some situations, as soon as a diagnosis is made, well-meaning family members immediately exclude the person living with dementia from all decisions. That's not always appropriate, and it really feels shitty for the person living with dementia. I'm going to walk you through the process of how to get a handle on your loved one's decisional capacity. Let's say I have a parent with dementia who is living in his own house. It's the holidays and the kids are all sitting around the table and one of the adult children tells dad, dad, I want you to move in with me. The parent steadfastly refuses his daughter's suggestion. As a matter of fact, the parent may not see it as a suggestion. One can ask the five questions and look at the responses. So in this hypothetical situation, we've gone through the five questions and here is the gentleman's response. 
My daughter wants me to move in with her, but I don't like where she lives. It is not close to where my friends are, and I'll never see them. If I move in with her, I'll have to sell my house, and I will always be her house guest. I will never have my own place. Moving in would help my daughter. She would not have to drive over here to check on me. And true, I'll be with someone, but she works every day, so I'll still be by myself while she is at work. It would be nice to have company every evening. I feel like my adult children are pushing me to move so that they won't have to worry about me. But I don't think they're really considering my feelings about their desire to have me move. In this situation, the reality is that the move is not a question of if, but a question of when. At least the parent is sharing some of his concerns about feeling homeless and becoming a permanent house guest. His daughter may be able to come up with some compromises based on this conversation. Perhaps it would be better if her father were to relocate to an apartment in a senior community or to an assisted living environment. This may not have occurred at all to the adult children as a possibility because they were so focused on one potential solution to their concerns about their, father, about their father's safety. The other issue is there's a lot of emotional baggage is, is the best word I can come up with around relocation. On one hand, we don't feel so bad if our parents relocate from a three-story, 3,000-square-foot 3, house or a house that's in a questionable neighborhood. Maybe the neighborhood was fine when our parents were raising us and living there, but over time, the neighborhood has shifted, and now we're worried about our parents being isolated in an environment where they may be harmed, where people may take advantage of them. So moving to, say, a, an apartment in an, a senior community is not such a bad idea. On the other hand, as soon as we start thinking about assisted livings and long-term care facilities, all of a sudden we are faced with the guilt. Oh, I promised my mom I would never put her in a nursing home. Well, an assisted living is not the same as putting mom in a nursing home. It's still part of a long-term care facility, but there's different stages of care and different levels of mobility and decision-making that can be supported. So the important thing is to look at as many of the options as one can and to involve the family member within the limits of their decisional ability. These five questions can also be useful in checking to see if the person living with dementia is refusing care, medication, or some other necessary item because they wish to exercise their autonomy, or instead, are they refusing 
because of fear and the and having problems thinking because of a more advanced stage of dementia. That is something I see a lot in long-term care. I will see situations where a nursing assistant will go into a room and want to help the resident, say, brush her teeth or get dressed, and the resident is refusing. And so the nursing assistant shrugs and leaves the person and reports to the charge nurse, well, Mr. Smith refused. A lot of times, refusals that are based on fear and that occur later in the dementia stages are triggered by our approach. And I talk about that in previous episodes when I talk about care refusal behavior. So what is the difference between decisional capacity and decisional competence? Because you may hear those words being used interchangeably and they're not. Decisional capacity is the ability to make a decision and decisional capacity can be evaluated by a clinician such as a nurse practitioner, a physician, social worker, or psychologist. Decisional capacity is situational. That is, a person may have the ability to make a decision about wanting someone listed as a healthcare proxy, but at the same time, that person may lack the decisional capacity to decide how to safely invest retirement funds because that investment involves a lot of complex decisional abilities. And let's face it, financial exploitation is a real problem that impacts people living with dementia and their families. And families do struggle with balancing independence with providing safety. I also want to jump in here and mention the fact that this podcast is all about dementia. I am discussing decisional capacity within the context of dementia. Sometimes people may lack decisional capacity due to being intoxicated or impaired by medication, being deathly ill, or being overwhelmed by a traumatic event. I'm not addressing those situations. I'm addressing decisional ability or decisional capacity within the context of dementia. Decisional competence, on the other hand, is a legal term. Competence is ultimately decided by a judge who weighs opinions rendered by court-appointed or court-recognized experts. When we return after the commercial break, I will explain how decisional capacity is determined. Decisional capacity is determined partly by a thorough clinical examination. If memory issues are present, the first thing needed is to identify what parts of the mind are working and which parts are having trouble. Dementia is more than memory loss. In someone with behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia, which I will be calling behavioral variant FTD, 
The main problems usually involve judgment and self-control, impulsivity, and insight. The person with behavioral variant, FPD, can easily recall a list of words and count backwards from 100 by 7. Common questions we give people when we're trying to understand what cognitive areas are working and, and what aren't. The person with behavioral variant FPD may instead struggle withdrawing a cube, connecting dots of alternating numbers and letters, and may even struggle with mimicking the examiner's different hand gestures. That person may easily fly into a road rage and try to run the offending driver off the road, or the person with behavioral variant FTD may hand a complete stranger a check for $50,000. This is because the part of the brain that controls judgment and self-restraint is slipping away. This means that a person with mild behavioral variant FTD may actually have less decisional capacity for a financial problem or financial decisions than a person with mild vascular dementia. Once the examiner has a general idea as to which parts of the brain and what cognitive abilities are strong and which ones are struggling, the examiner can ask some questions. Let's say the person living with dementia wants to help out an adult child who is struggling financially. The person receiving the financial assistance will likely tell everybody that mom knows what she's doing. Yes, she has a dementia diagnosis, but she is still really sharp. The other siblings may not see it the same way. They may say, mom has dementia and we think our brother Fred is taking advantage of her. One way to gain some understanding and clarity is to see what mom understands the problem to be. If mom appreciates the impact of the problem, of the consequences of helping Fred out financially, if she understands the pros and cons of her decision, and if she can articulate her decision and explain why she made the decision in a way that demonstrates that she systematically thought through the issue. If I were asked to weigh in, I would ask these questions. First, what is the problem? In other words, I would want to ask the person living with dementia, tell me about what is going on with your adult children. What is the problem here? And then I would listen to the responses. So compare two potential responses. Response number one, Fred lost his job and he is unable to pay his bills. I've decided to give him $10,000 until he is able to find a new job. I have no expectations that he's going to pay it back. I look at it this way. The other two girls, I paid for their weddings and their weddings cost a lot more than $10,000. I have never helped Fred the way I have helped my two daughters. Compare that to response number two. 
Oh, my kids are always arguing about something. The girls always get angry when I help Fred. If I received response number one, I would likely say that the person living with dementia probably understands the situation. If I received response number two, which was very vague, I would have concerns about this woman's decisional capacity for lending or giving money to her son. The second question I would ask is, I would ask the person living with dementia, what other ideas or solutions do you have? Have your adult children offered any alternatives? I would explore how much the person living with dementia grasps the positives and negatives of their proposed action. What are potential consequences, intended and unintended, for the proposed action? Although the adult children may already know the answers to these questions, it is helpful to hear the responses from the person living with dementia in order to determine their understanding and consequences of the decision. For example, does the $10,000 represent the person's entire life saving? Will giving that much money away cause hardship to the individual or to future caregivers? For someone with seven figures in investments, $10,000 is a much smaller percentage than $100,000 or $200,000 in the retirement portfolio. The question I would also want to know about is, is this an isolated incident or is Fred expecting ongoing financial support while he searches for a job? I'd also be curious to know if Fred is making promises in exchange for the funds. Promises such as, I'll always be here to care for you, mom. I won't let them put you in a nursing home. It may be that the other siblings' concerns about financial exploitation and coercion are definitely founded. They, they have legitimate concerns here. It is always interesting to hear what the person living with dementia reports as the pros and cons. She may sorrowfully admit that yes, this is an ongoing problem, but she feels guilty if her son becomes homeless. Or she may tell us that Fred hasn't asked her for help. She decided to offer the money and he simply accepted. The last question is, what is the final decision and why? The challenge here is asking the question in a way so that the person living with dementia does not feel attacked or doubted. Those emotions can cause the person with dementia to stop any discussion with the family. One approach is, I'm curious what you finally decided to do for Fred. After the person living with this dementia gives the decision, a follow-up could be, okay, how did you get to that decision? The bottom line is, for financial matters, 
it is a good idea to put everything in writing, even if the person living with dementia exhibits decisional capacity for that specific issue. Naming a trusted person as a power of attorney is also important. Decisional capacity does not mean that everyone agrees with the person's final decision. I can have the ability to make a decision, but I may still make a bad one or a poor one because I allowed emotions to affect my decision or I failed to heed really good advice. So that wraps up today's podcast. I do have some really cool news. I have put together the first three chapters of my Make Dimension Your Bitch book. Yes, it is still being edited. And I have the first three chapters listed on my website. And you can download those first three chapters for free to read it, to get an idea of, hey, what I want this book. Also, the first three chapters have some really good information that I think people would find helpful. So if you go to my website, makedementiayourbitch.com, and you ju- there's a little tab there that says click for the free sneak preview, click it, follow the prompts, and you can start reading. I will be emailing my editor tomorrow bright and early to see where we are on this because I really, 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 really would like to get that book out before Christmas. On the other hand, I want a really good book and not something half-assed. So I do understand the time that needs to be put into this. If you want, you can look at the notes that accompany this podcast and that same information is down there. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for joining me. I always look forward to these Sunday afternoons, or in this case, early evening, when I record the podcast, and then I can send it out for everyone to listen to. So thank you so much for listening to this. Please leave a review. Please rate, if you can, on your podcasting platform, and please share. All right, for those of you in North America, happy Thanksgiving. And for those of you around the world, have a great week. And I will see you next week with another topic. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so other dementia caregivers can find this podcast. If you are a caregiver for someone with dementia, and need help understanding and dealing with these behaviors, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Make Dementia Your Bee, or email me, info at makedementiayourbitch.com.